It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which means, of course, armchair politics coming up in about an hour for two hours of commentary and analysis with East Village Magazine uh, Consulting editor Jan Worth Nelson joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. But it's the first Wednesday of the month, which means uh, we set aside a little time this first hour to talk with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint, who joins me by phone. Good morning, Chris. Morning, Tom. Great to be here. And it's good to talk to you again. What's uh, so? What's new in the world of uh, economics? Well, yeah, it's hard to keep track of everything, um, given what the last year has been like. It's hard to believe that um, a year ago, we were locked in our houses with the first wave of shutdowns. You know, we thought it was going to be 14 weeks, and here we are basically 14 months later. The shutdowns have eased, of course, but uh, the state of the economy just has been in a constant state of flux since then. I think there's been a couple of major things happened um, since the last time we've talked. The most recent CARES relief package has been signed into law, another $1.9 trillion being dumped into the economy from the federal government for various forms of relief. Um, that's the third relief package 
signed into law since COVID hit um, last March. So roughly there's been $5 trillion spent on various forms of relief uh, due to COVID. That's just an incredible amount of money when you think about it. Uh, oh, yeah, a trillion economy. here, a trillion there. Pretty soon it's real money. Right, exactly. Uh, in a normal year, um, even an abnormal year with COVID, the U.S. is about a $21 trillion economy. So just round it down to $20 trillion to make it more concrete, which means that in a given year, about $20 trillion worth of final goods and services are produced across the entire economy. Consumer goods, new capital, machines, equipment, stuff the government buys, and so forth. So $5 trillion represents about a quarter of all economic output of the year just being spent on COVID relief. Uh, it's just a huge percentage of the total economy uh, being spent on things like stimulus checks, extended unemployment benefits, aid to state and local governments, and so forth. You know, we've never seen that kind of government spending as a share of the economy ever, at least since World War II. Well, and, and now we add to that the president's plan for uh, an infrastructure uh, project, or at least it's being billed as an infrastructure project. Some are arguing that there's a not, not enough uh, infrastructure in the bill. But he's talking about another what? Trillion? Two trillion? Um, yeah, I think it's another two trillion dollars for so-called infrastructure. So I'm one of those people who think it's not really about infrastructure because when you look at what the bill spends money on, it's only about 5% of the bill that goes to things like surface streets and bridges, you know, things that the uh, uh, typical American would think of as being infrastructure. So, Well, we think of roads and bridges, and now recently, um, not just in Flint, but especially in Flint where we are, We've come to think of uh, some of the stuff underground, um, you know, the water pipes, for example, as being part of infrastructure. And and even even now we're looking at certain uh, technology, wireless uh, or um, broadband uh, internet in various communities around the country, um, and, and that's starting to become infrastructure. Yeah, so I agree that if you think about water and sewer, that is infrastructure. But even if you factor that in, you're still talking about a very small percentage of the final bill. Broadband infrastructure, I think that's fairly debatable about whether or not that's infrastructure. Um, if you go to, I think, most communities, I would wager a bet almost all, although there are probably some rural communities that don't have broadband internet available. It's available. You just have to subscribe for it. So then the question becomes, well, should the federal government subsidize Are you still there? Well, I think I lost Chris. Maybe he'll give me a call back. Um, anyway, my guest is uh, Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. And um, he joins me... Uh, well, usually the first Wednesday of every month to talk a little bit about the uh, the economy, and uh, I think maybe I'll maybe I need to call him back. It shows he's still connected, but uh, I don't think he can hear me, or I don't. We can't hear him. I don't know if he can hear me or not. 
let's uh, let's try this again. Um, uh, whoops. Maybe he's calling me. Welcome to live radio, folks. Your call cannot. <laughs> well, let's see if that gets, uh, if we can get through to Chris again and continue our conversation because this is. Um, it's always important to keep track of what's going on with the economy, and if you're like me, I'm not sure that I always understand it. Hi, Tom. Sorry about that. Hi. Uh, I don't know what's going on with the phone. Stand by, Chris. And we'll get him punched into the board. And that's... There, Chris. Can you, can you uh, hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. I don't know if the problem is on your end or my end, but yeah, could, I'm glad we're back. Could you hear me when I was uh, trying to get you back? No, the call just dropped. Okay. Beeps, but that was it. Okay, because once in a while it'll happen where <laughs> you're sitting there, you can hear me, and then you start to answer, and we're getting nothing at this end. Yeah, welcome to live radio, folks. Anyway, um, <laughs> where, where did we leave off exactly, Chris? We, we were talking about... I think about we're talking about... Yeah, we're talking about the infrastructure bill, and I was saying I think a problem with it is that there's lots of stuff in there that the typical American wouldn't consider as being infrastructure. That's right. So like and aid to manufacturing, aid for home health care. Uh, you know, that's about half of the bill right there, $800 billion or so. And, and, and you you said that you'd go along with the idea that uh, that underground pipes for, for water distribution, for example, could be considered infrastructure. But what about other utilities? Um, uh, power lines and yep. fiber optic cables and broadband internet. As as we consider more, you know, is is water a utility or part of our infrastructure? Is uh, a, yep. you know electric? Um, you know, where where do we draw yep. the line between um, a infrastructure, b utilities, and c what the president wants to fund? <laughs> so I think, yeah, so I think traditional utilities could be called infrastructure. So I think the typical American would say roads, bridges, of course, for infrastructure, transportation infrastructure, water, sewer. I think the typical American would agree those are infrastructure things too, as well as the power grid. I don't think anyone would have an objection about saying the power grid is infrastructure. And if we wanted to spend some money to shore up that power grid, um, I think, especially after what happened with, with Texas a month or so ago, I think most Americans would be on board with that. But again, once you add up all that stuff, you're talking maybe $700 billion or so of the $2 trillion bill going to things to things like that. But then the bill includes things like, you know, three, $400 billion for manufacturing, three, $400 billion for in-home health care. Typical America is not going to think that's infrastructure. I, so when you look at two but, but don't you think that that this is actually uh, President Biden's attempt to try to shore up things that he thinks will create uh, job opportunities for people, and he's couching it as infrastructure? Sure, I mean I think that's what's going on too. But 
I think it's disingenuous to call that infrastructure. And I think that's a problem because if you spend $2 trillion and maybe you know $600 billion max goes for traditionally what's called infrastructure, the American voter is going to say, well, we spent $2 trillion, but the roads don't look back up to par. These, there might be these some are not, improvement. These are not $2 trillion roads. Right, exactly. These are $2 trillion roads, not $2 trillion water pipes not a $2 trillion electrical system. So I think that leads to distrusted government when you couch a bunch of priorities under the heading of something that most people could get on board with. If it was really $2 trillion worth of spending on strictly infrastructure, I think people would get on board with that if they see some real benefits, some real improvements for that spending. Better roads, better bridges, better water mains, a more robust electrical grid. But I believe that the $2 trillion for infrastructure is going to be spent over five years. If after five years, people are like, yeah, these are $2 trillion roads. What do we get for our money? There's going to be renewed calls for infrastructure spending. And people are going to be like, well, you know, we've gone down this road before. and Things didn't really improve. Why should we trust you this time? So my, I guess, view is we should be honest about what we're spending money for. If you want to spend money for home health care, well, put forward a bill called the home health care bill, let's have a debate about it. Well, I, and I've for a long time been sort of suspicious and critical of uh, everything being an omnibus package, you know, where there's right. 39 bills all considered under one umbrella um, like this infrastructure uh, package the president's trying to get through Congress. You know, why not say, you know, we need a lot new, a lot more broadband and, and just pass straight up or down more broadband? I completely agree. Fight over the dollar no, amount, you, you know, come to an agreement, and then uh, straight up or down, yay or nay. Right. Oh, I completely agree. And I think these omnibus bills that are too like $2 trillion, 2,000 pages that no one reads before voting on to the when someone actually does read it, they find a bunch of junk in there for special interests, really leads to distrusted government, which I think has been a problem through this pandemic. That uh, I think one thing that's really making it difficult to address the pandemic is that there's such a lack of trusted government that a lot of people don't believe what the government is putting out there. What people don't, people don't believe what the CDC and the FDA are putting out there. And I think there's valid reasons for that mistrust, like we've talked about. But even earlier in the pandemic, you see agencies like the CDC really failed to do, like, the one thing they were set up to do, you know, address threats to public health. You know, famously, the CDC put out COVID testing kits that failed, that were unable to detect COVID at a time where early detection could have really made the pandemic a whole lot worse if the CDC could have identified or not as bad first, if, if it had gone well right right they could hey, have Chris, identified the first carriers we, we have to take a scheduled break here <laughs> okay um, and uh, if you can stand by we'll get into some more of this and I want to talk about Georgia and how businesses are reacting to the voting laws down there um, at, at some point my guest is uh, Chris Douglas from U of M Flint we'll be back Hello, with I more right after this it's me Tigger T-I-double-G-R that spells Tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy <laughs>
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan, Flint. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and as always, sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no worries, Tom. It's always great to be here. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the uh, the uh, so-called infrastructure package that the president is is out promoting now that the uh, COVID relief bill has been signed into a, into law and is being implemented. Um, but a big part of the president's agenda is uh, trying to recover some of that money through repealing uh, some of Donald Trump's tax cuts and and possibly uh, some others. Um, how is that being received, do you think? Um, not well, as, as you could believe the news reports from um, the Senate, at least. that Apparently, there's a key group of senators who think that's a non-starter to raise the corporate tax rate from 21 to 22%, whatever it got cut down to with the 2017 tax reform, back up to 28%. Um, people think that'll make U.S. corporations less competitive because corporations will seek um, to headquarter in countries that have a lower corporate tax rate, um, which is why the se- Secretary of the Treasury recently called for a global minimum tax. Yeah, so nice nice catch. I noticed the same thing, and it seems almost simultaneous, like, you know, perhaps trying to, you know, close the door to businesses trying to duck a tax increase here by moving somewhere else. No, that's right. So if the goal, uh, it's not going to be every country around the world, but if every major developed country and maybe some key developing ones say, well, we'll all agree to have a 28% corporate income tax rate, well then, if we raise ours, corporations can't flee to a lower tax country. So yeah, those two things go hand in hand. Um, the problem, though, really, is that Raising the the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent doesn't really bring in that much revenue. Um, you see big numbers being floated. It's going to bring in two trillion dollars worth of revenue, but the fine print is that's over 15 years. So over 15 years in total, maybe that will that'll raise two trillion dollars. Well, the infrastructure program purports to spend two trillion dollars basically over five years. So it's going to take 15 years to raise all the revenue that will be spent in five years. Or more starkly, um, the recent COVID relief bill spent $2 trillion instantaneously. It spent it basically in the month of March. So it's going to take 15 years to raise the revenue that was spent in just one bill, that, that COVID relief bill. And that assumes future Congresses, future presidents, won't do what President Trump did and then just lower it again, which means, well, in reality, $2 trillion will be brought in. So there's this disconnect about how long it takes to raise the revenue that's being spent very quickly. So it's very misleading to say, well, we could just raise taxes on corporations and you'll cover either the infrastructure bill or the most recent COVID release bill. You know, that's that's one of the things that, that always uh, troubles me, even in the numbers that are being floated, which you sort of hinted were um, inflated in some ways, or, or at least didn't add up in your mind. Um, but even some of the numbers that are being floated fall short of recovering the money that's being spent. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at COVID relief bills since last March, that's $5 trillion. So even if the a hike of the corporate tax brings in $2 trillion, you're talking less than half of what's been spent just on COVID. So that yeah, doesn't that's include the, infrastructure, other priorities, probably future relief bills. Um, you hear talk out there that people in Congress want another round of checks in the future. Um, eventually, the enhanced unemployment benefits going to expire. There'll probably be calls to extend that as well. Um, there'll probably be calls for um, more aid to state and local governments for things like vaccine administration um, once the most recent aid expires. Uh, I think COVID variants are going to be a thing. Um, so there's probably going to be more vaccines in the future that are adjusted to take into account those variants. And eventually the vaccines that we do get are going to, you know, wear off, if you will. So there'll be booster shots that'll need to happen, probably. So there'll be future calls for aid to administer those boosters. So it's not like, well, this $2 trillion that was signed into law a few weeks ago is going to be it. You know, there's going to be calls for further spending because the economy is always going to be um, sluggish compared to what people would want. So there'll be calls for maybe more benefits for unemployment, another round of checks. You know, that's all going to cost real money. So if you're talking about $2 trillion over 15 years from a corporate tax hike, you know, that really doesn't go very far. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a real concern. Um, one of the things that, well, I, I guess before I, before I get into uh, Major League Baseball with an economist, um, <laughs> let's, what's, what's happening with the checks that, that people are getting, the stimulus money? I mean, there, there are different uh, uh, groups benefiting from it. All Americans, or most Americans, are getting individual checks. What are they doing with that money, and is the money intended for small business getting to small business and doing what it needs to do for them to hang on until until we we actually pull out of this? Yeah, so great questions, and there's a lot there. So if you believe the data, it looks like people who are receiving checks are saving it, just throwing it to the bank or using it to pay back pay down debt, like a credit card bill, something like that. So the savings rate before COVID was about 8% of the U.S., meaning people were saving about 8% of their income. Um, that shoots up to about 35% in April following the first wave of checks, you know, meaning people, I forget what the first wave of checks were, $2,000, $1,500, something I like that. Was, I thought it was 1200 and you then, might be, yeah, you might be right and, about and, that. And then we went through that phase where then President Trump was pushing for two thousand, and six hundred dollar checks were cut, and, and and then this this next round was fourteen hundred, which actually was uh, being justified as topping up the six hundred to the two thousand that that people were lobbying for at the time. Yeah, I remember that from the last two wave of checks. I just couldn't remember what the first wave was. 1,200 sounds right, but it feels like a lifetime ago at this point. <laughs> it really um, does. <laughs> but the point is is that people just got those and threw it in the bank. Because back in April of last year, businesses were shut down. There's really nowhere to spend it unless you want to go to the grocery store or order stuff from Amazon. Certainly that spending increased. But like I said, people saved that money. 
put in the bank account just for a rainy day, which made sense because back in April, things were looking pretty dire. People were talking about the worst recession since the Great Depression. Are we entering Great Depression number two? Will we have this long um, economic downturn? What would you think of that? You know, saving for a rainy day makes sense. Um, the problem with that is kind of twofold. First, um, checks stimulate the economy what it's spent, especially at a small business. Well, if people aren't spending those checks, you know, that's not stimulating the economy. And I think the second problem is, is that you know, you've seen these savings increase throughout the pandemic as people receive wave of checks, plus things are shut down, which limits where you could spend your money at. So once things start to reopen, maybe in the summer and maybe in the fall, once the vaccine becomes administered and people want to get back to life as normal, traveling again, going back to restaurants again, you know, people might try to withdraw that savings, start to spend it, and that's when you might see inflation start to kick in. Because we've had all the spending that we've talked about, a lot of that spending has been financed by just, for lack of a better word, printing money. The money supply is way up compared to last March. And what about, last March, what about credit balances with uh, all of the online purchasing that goes on? That's almost always done with credit cards. Are, are people just running up huge uh, credit balances? Not according to the data, really? um, because the because the um, relief that they're receiving seems to more than make up for it. In the sense that, if you look at personal income since the pandemic, it hit a record high level at least last April, which is a bit of a dichotomy because you have the worst recession since the Great Depression. You would expect personal income to just hit rock bottom. In, in such an economy, but it did it. It did exactly the opposite. You see a big spike compared to what it was in February before the pandemic hit. And the reason was is because the stimulus spending was just so large, um, so widespread, that it, for the average American, it more than made up for whatever losses he or she suffered uh, due to the pandemic. Because you think about that first wave of checks and all the wave of checks, it was based on income. If you're below, I think it's about $75,000 for the first wave. I think about the same for the other waves, too. What do you, so think, you, be accounts, making, what do you think accounts for that rise in, in uh, uh, personal income? Is, is that the result of money going to small businesses to help make payroll so their people are, are continuing to get paychecks even though they may not actually be working or putting in the hours that they used to some are still productive working from home and there are certainly frontline workers that earn every penny of of what they're getting um but when you send out a stimulus check to everyone that and and you're sending money to small businesses to keep their payrolls going aren't the people benefiting from those payrolls basically getting paid twice um, no, because if a business receives a PPP loan, the Paycheck Protection Program loan, they have to keep people on payroll. So, oh, yeah, okay, I, I kind of see your question. You see I what I'm saying? They're, they're, they're getting a paycheck, or at least a partial paycheck, but then they're getting stimulus dollars, too. So, in a way, they're being paid twice. Oh, no, that's exactly right. That's the point I was kind of making in a roundabout way in that you just send out stimulus checks to everyone based on income, 
So if you're making $70,000 a year, uh, maybe working in an office building, the pandemic hits, you have to work at home, you could do that, give it your job. So you keep your income, you keep your job, but then you start receiving checks anyway. You receive checks for all three rounds, so that totals to close to, call it $3,000, $3,500 worth of checks. But then if you have kids, um, what's a lesser known feature of the relief bills is that the child tax credit increased. Um, and the last um, relief bill, it increased quite substantially from about $2,000 per kid under six to $3,600 per kid under six. If you have a kid over six, it increased to $3,000, I believe. So if you have a couple of kids, come tax time, that's an extra, you know, six, $7,000 in your tax refund. So if you add up the child tax credit plus the round of checks for someone making $70,000 a year, you know, that's a 10% increase in their yearly pay just because of stimulus spending, you know, $7,000 plus from the federal government. So, like you said, people are really being paid twice. They're being paid by their work plus with stimulus, which is why personal income in a really bad economy, you know, hit a record high level. That's, it, that's fascinating. What is the impact, if any, of what uh, the Major League Baseball did by pulling the All-Star game from Atlanta over uh, Georgia's new uh, voting uh, laws and regulations? Um, so you read studies that purport to say that's going to cost uh, Atlanta $100 million in terms of tourism spending because people won't be in town going to restaurants, going to hotels, etc. Those studies are always overstated in terms of the benefits of what are called mega events like the All-Star game. So Atlanta probably will suffer some sort of loss of economic activity, but I doubt it's $100 million, especially in the era of COVID, where you can't pack the fans or pack the stadium full of fans, can't pack barred restaurants full of fans, hotels, and so forth. So, like I said, there'll be some loss of economic activity. I would doubt it's substantially high. Um, I think the real impact is less economic in the sense that I think Major League Baseball annoyed a bunch of its fans by moving the All-Star game. In the sense that I think people watch sports to be above politics. You know, people watch sports, follow sports to kind of get away from the daily grind of politics, works, and so forth. So if sports just becomes another branch of politics, I think that really removes a reason why you know, people were baseball fans. Um, also, I think from an economic standpoint, what's kind of interesting is that probably most of your listeners know this, but Major League Baseball has an antitrust exemption. So all the antitrust laws do, that apply to all the other businesses in the U.S. economy don't apply to Major League Baseball because of a fluke Supreme Court decision in 1914, I believe, that's just never been overturned. Um, future Supreme Courts after that, or subsequent Supreme Courts, I should say, um, have said that the antitrust exemption can't be justified with any rationale, but have always stopped short of overturning it. Um, but now you have senators and congressmen saying, well, with baseball playing politics like this, well, we should take away their antitrust exemption as punishment, if you will. Yeah, so, but some other business or some some 
businesses have pushed back against Georgia as well. In fact, uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell yesterday was slamming some of those businesses. The only one that comes to mind right off the bat, uh, Chris, is Coca-Cola. But there were some other big companies that that weighed in. And um, what, what kind of, is, is that a, a shift in... Uh, um, you know, the, the standard uh, business practice? Yeah, Delta Airlines was another one. Yeah. Both are you. based in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, I think it is a, stand, a shifted standard business practice in the sense that historically businesses have tried to stay away from politics and just focus on serving customers, which makes sense, right? Because you have Republicans, you have Democrats. Why do you want to take a stand and alienate, alienate half of your customer base by definition? You know, if you're a major corporation, you come out hardcore supporting Democrats, you're likely to make Republicans <laughs> mad and lose customers as a result. We'd like so to I think, think at least that. airline tickets and soft drinks would be bipartisan. Right, you would hope so. <laughs> but for whatever reason, businesses are thinking like, well, we could take political stands, and apparently it doesn't matter if we alienate, say, Republicans. They'll continue buying soft drinks and airline tickets from us anyway. And I don't know what's caused that shift in thinking to think that businesses could really antagonize a good chunk of their customer base and suffer no financial repercussion for it. But it does seem like it's been a shift. And I think maybe what might be driving it is that businesses are just really fearful of the Twitter mob that if you don't take a strong stand on what the tr Twitter mob thinks as being the so-called um, right issue, that you'll really suffer a, a, a bad PR blow. And I think that's overstated. I think the Twitter mob is loud, but they're much smaller um, than what people might think, given how loud they are. But these businesses like Coca-Cola, Delta Airlines, are just so fearful of being called names on social media that they might feel like they have to take a stand in order to be at, at good graces for the mob. And if that alienates part of their customer base, well, that's just a risk they have to take. You know, that Republicans will still drink Coca-Cola, despite Coca-Cola antagonizing them. Does that, do these kinds of activities, uh, you know, taking political stands and, and pushing back against uh, state legislatures, or, or even Washington for certain kinds of uh, um, issues. Does it, it, is there a ripple effect that's felt on Wall Street or not really? Uh, not really, because it's hard to know why not really, but I would speculate that Wall Street probably just views it as, for lack of a better word, symbolic. Um, you know, these big corporations pushing back on state legislation, pushing back on things that might annoy their customers, aren't going to have really any repercussions in terms of sales and profits. Um, you know, Delta Airlines will still pack their planes. People will still buy cases of Coca-Cola, etc. You know, people will still watch Major League Baseball games, even if Major League Baseball moves to the All-Star game, even though Major League Baseball is not a publicly traded corporation. Um, so I think Wall Street probably thinks that you know, there's a lot of noise here. You know, there's a lot of posturing on social media. But at the end of the day, it's not going to affect the bottom line. So that's, I think, why you're not seeing big movements of the stock price one way or the other. Um, following the recent 
whatever recent social media outrage there is. But what, if it really was the case that, you know, Republicans really were able to execute a boycott on Coca-Cola and all of a sudden every Republican out there just says we're not drinking Coke anymore, well, that would have a big impact at the bottom line. You know, Coca-Cola would miss its earnings projection on Wall Street and the stock price would take a hit as a result. So Wall Street's really betting that something like that's not going to happen. And... and um what is going on with uh, Wall Street? Are, are they, you know, in a in a coast mode at this point? Um, yeah, or, or are they being impacted by things like the stimulus packages and the infrastructure uh, negotiations? So I think they're being impacted by all the money being dumped into the U.S. economy through things like the stimulus and through things like infrastructure. You look at infrastructure, $2 trillion. You know, some of it goes to infrastructure like we talked about. Well, that'll help corporations that might supply, you know, materials for those type of projects that will cause their stock price to rally. Uh, but just like that money being dumped into the economy in general is going to cause Wall Street to move uh, because at the end of the day, some corporation is going to receive that spending and that's going to deflate their bottom line which will then inflate their stock price. Or if you just look at all the checks being distributed um, through the various rounds of COVID spending, you know, that's going to find its way to the stock market too um, because interest rates are just basic savings deposits are so astronomically low that if you hold like a certificate of deposit, you're going to earn like less than half a percent of interest. If you have a savings account, you know, a traditional passbook savings account, you might be earning a you know, 0.01% interest. So if you just throw your money into the bank as a saver, you're not going to earn any interest. So you're going to have to try to find something that has a higher rate of return than that, which is why people are you know, dumping money to the stock market, saying, well, can't earn any money in the bank. Might as well buy stocks because at least the price of stocks could go up. So all this money flowing into the stock market is pushing share prices up too. And a lot of that money is being fueled by the increase in savings that we're seeing as a result of those checks. Is uh, our, is inflation going to skyrocket as we uh, begin the recovery post-COVID in what's being called the new normal? Yeah, I don't know, but I'm pretty concerned about this. You know, Jerome Powell, Janet Yellen, chair of the Fed and the Secretary of the Treasury, say no. Um, not to be, put too fine of a point on it, but I don't really believe them necessarily. Um, of course, they're going to say no, right? You would never, yeah. if the Secretary of the Treasury said inflation is going to be a problem, right? The market would crash tomorrow. You know, same if the federal, chair of the Federal Reserve says, yeah, we're really worried about inflation. Like the market would just, I, I can't even overstate the correction that would happen if the chair just came out and said inflation is a problem. So if you look at the fundamentals, I mean, the fundamentals are there for inflation. You know, massive increase in the money supply over the course of a year. You know, the money supply is up by more than $2.5 trillion. Um, meaning, you know, Mar here we are, April 2021. You know, there's $2.5 trillion more in money in the economy compared to um, March, of of March of 2020. Because well, so much of this government spending, stimulus spending, has just been financed by printing money. 
Well, when you find it. Chris, we got to end it there, but thanks so much uh, for spending this time. Chris Douglas from University of Michigan Flint. Always great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to next time. Yeah, Hi, too. this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons! He'll stop now. I know he will. (laughs) He'll stop now. I know he will. (laughs) John! Turn over on your side! Go on! What's the matter, Blanche? What's the matter? There isn't another woman in the world who'd sacrifice her youth and her looks to live with a man who rattles himself to sleep like a lot of old bones in a bag. What do you think I'm made of, John? Old bones? Oh, you've got to stop it. Stop what? That snoring. Oh, it's just your imagination, Blanche. I never snore. John Bickerson, how could you say that? Very easy. Just listen. I never snore. I never snore. John! What? What's the matter? Won't you? Why won't you let me sleep, Blanche? What about me? What am I supposed to do while you grind away like a buzzsaw? I never sleep at all. You were fast asleep when I came home from my lodge meeting. What time did you come in? I don't know. Put out the lights. You said that you'd have one drink and get home at ten. Well, I had ten drinks and I got home at one. You knew where I was all the time. Now, don't start beefing about it. I didn't know where you were. I would have called you. What for? Because the express man came around again with that package. It's from Kentucky, and there's freight charges on it. Well, why didn't you pay him? I've been waiting for that package. What is it? It's my dividend. I belong to the Bottle of the Month Club. Bottle, bottle, bottle. I'm just sick and tired of the way your whole life is wrapped up in a bottle of bourbon. Maybe you'd like me better if I wore a label and put a cork in my mouth. You needn't wear a label, Blanche. Oh, there you go with your subtle insults again. When am I supposed to talk to you? You rush away in the morning and come home at night when I'm sleeping? Sit up and talk to me, John. Blanche, I'm dead tired. I don't know what time I came home, but I was in the kitchen for over an hour. I know. I heard you puttering around in there. I wasn't puttering. You asked me to fix the electric toaster and the curling iron, didn't you? Well, I fixed them both. Do they work? They work fine. Except the toast pops up with a permanent. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Did you turn off all the lights? Turned off the lights. I suppose you left a mess in that kitchen. No mess. I hope you locked the back door. The cat got out three times last week. Cat won't get out tonight. Where'd you put him? In the birdcage. The birdcage? Where's the canary? In the cat. Oh, John Bickerson. Oh, stop knocking yourself out. Nothing happened to the canary and the cat's fast asleep in the oven. Well, don't scare me like that. Are you sure all the animals are taken care of? I'm sure. How about the fishbowl? Did you heat up the water for the new baby goldfish? I heated his water, gave him his pablum, burped him twice, and changed his diaper. Will you put out the lights and let me sleep? Why 
are you so cross and disagreeable all the time, John? Because I'm exhausted. That's not true. You'd rather stay out the whole night carousing with your roughneck friends. It just kills you to spend the night with me. No, it doesn't kill me. It's a funny thing, but I don't need anybody else. I'm always satisfied just to be with you. Well, you're in better company than I am. Good night. Keep it up, John. Keep adding insults to injury. Adding injury? Never a kind word or a compliment. No, never. Just work me to death like a slave. Picket my meals, complain about my cooking. I never complain about your cooking. Then why didn't you eat that pie I made tonight? I did eat it. I ate every bit of it. You didn't like it. I couldn't chew it. The undercrust was like cardboard. Undercrust? Yes. That pie didn't have any undercrust. I gave it to you on a paper plate. Well, the plate tasted better than the pie. Don't make pies anymore. I hate pies. I hate all desserts. Especially that orange meringue broccoli dream cake you make. Don't make me any more desserts. I never know what to make for you. You've got the weirdest appetite of any man alive. Two months running, you wouldn't eat anything but pig's knuckles, pig's knuckles, pig's knuckles. What about it? Well, just because you wanted pig's knuckles, I had to cook my fingers to the bone. Why don't you hire a chef? <sighs> I cook for you, I scrub for you, I sew for you. Do I get any thanks? Thanks. Thanks. That's all the thanks I get. No love, no affection. How I envy Louise Shaw. Her husband treats her more like a friend than a wife. Oh, settle down, will you, Blanche? No, I won't. You think Louise ever makes breakfast for Mel? Not that lazy lump. She makes him go to work every day without a morsel of food. Just a kiss for breakfast. Would you be satisfied with that? Sure. Send her over in the morning. I mean, would you be satisfied if I gave you a kiss for breakfast? Blanche, I'd be satisfied with anything if you'd let me get some rest. Answer me. Do you want a kiss for breakfast? Yes. Well, ask for it. Blanche, I want a kiss for breakfast. Don't do me any favors. I'll never let you kiss me again as long as you live. Not until you apologize. Apologize for what? What have I done? It's what you haven't done. You haven't told me you love me for years. Why don't you say you're sorry you married me? Because I'm not. Am I the only wife for you in the world? You're the only wife in the world for me. You're lying. Swear. I swear I'm lying. What? I mean, I'm not lying. Well, that's no way to swear. Say it nicely. You're the only wife in the world for me. Really, John? Really. I wouldn't have another wife like you for anything. Oh, I wish I'd known more about you before we were married. Oh, you knew everything. I didn't know about that tattoo you had on your stomach. That's a real indication of a man's character. I wish I'd known. Now, wait a minute. I had that tattoo put on my stomach when I was just a silly kid. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. A hula girl with a big dimple on her chin. That dimple was there before she was. Don't go digging up my stomach at this time of the night. Why don't you have that ugly picture removed? Okay, I'll have it removed in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. Have it done now. What? Go on, get up. Get rid of that hula girl. Are you out of your mind? It's almost four o'clock in the morning. You'd get
get rid of it fast enough if you were married to Gloria Gooseby. Now, don't start with Gloria Gooseby. She'd holler plenty if you didn't do what she liked. I always do what she likes, and she never hollers. I mean, I mean, I hate the sight of Gloria Gooseby, and I never want you to mention her name again. Do you hear me? Don't yell at me. I'm sick. Sick? Dr. Hershey told me there's something the matter with my head. You don't mean to say you paid a doctor for that. Make fun if you like. But I know I won't last long. What's the matter with you? Nothing. Are you really sick? So sick I could die. I think I'm poisoned. I've got the most awful indigestion. Oh, call the doctor, John. You don't need the doctor. I'll take care of it. Lie still and I'll fry you some radishes and hot sauerkraut juice. Radishes and hot sauerkraut juice? Finest cure in the world for indigestion. Lie still now. John Bickerson, I don't want any of your insane remedies. You'll treat me for indigestion, and I'll probably die of liver trouble. Listen, if I treat you for indigestion, you'll die of indigestion. Now, do you want me to help you or not? I'll feel a lot better if you just didn't scream at me. And tell me you love me. I knew you weren't sick. Tell me you love me, John. I love you. How much do you love me? How much do you need? Well, John... Easter Sunday is only two days away, and I haven't got a new hat. What happened to the hat you bought last year? It's in a box on the dresser, but that hat's worn out. Well, where the box? I can't be spending my money on a hat. Please, John, just this once. I saw a wonderful hat with a reversible brim that can be turned up or turned down. How much is it? Sixty dollars. Turn it down. Turn it down! Turn it down. I turn everything down because you're always looking for bargains. But when you married me, you didn't get any bargain. How well I know it. Oh, you know what I mean. You only like the kind of woman who would pass up a mink coat to buy a cheap fur. Well, what's wrong with buying a cheap fur? Oh, nothing. Would you like to see the one I bought, dear? What? It's a dyed rabbit choker, and it only cost $94. $94 for a dead rabbit? Oh, don't get started. Blanche, how can you squander my money like that? I deny myself everything. Last week, I had all my teeth pulled out to save money on eating. I've been sewing collars on your old bloomers and wearing them for shirts. I haven't even got a pair of pants. Yesterday, I hung a whisk broom from your plaid skirt and went to work dressed as a Scotsman. And she spends $94 on an Easter egg. All right, all right. I'll take it back. I never knew you could be so mean. Oh, take it back. I wish my poor granddaddy was still alive. He'd never let you treat me like this. All of a sudden, she's got a granddaddy. I never heard you mention him before. He was the best friend I ever had. Oh, yeah, I took his advice on everything. Yeah, yeah. He could have settled a lot of our problems. I bet he'd tell you to let me keep that choker. How do you know? Because I know. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. Suppose he isn't in heaven. Then you can ask him. Good night, Blanche. Good night, John. Sumner Program.com
Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here!